Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The following is a paid podcast. iHeartRadio's hosting of this podcast constitutes neither an endorsement of the products offered or the ideas expressed. The following program is brought to you by NYU Langone Health. It's Katz's Corner with Dr. Aaron Katz, your trusted expert in men's health, providing straight talk on a wide range of men's health topics and advice on how to live your healthiest life. Now on 710 WOR, it's the chairman of urology at NYU Langone Hospital, Long Island. Here is Dr. Aaron Katz. Uh, good morning, everyone, and welcome again to Katz's Corner here on WOR iHeartRadio. So glad you could join us today. Uh, we have a very interesting show for everyone, all of our listeners, and we'll be talking specifically about heart health and what you should know about uh, your testing for heart disease and any signs or symptoms of, of heart disease. And to help us with this discussion, I've asked a wonderful colleague, a dear friend of mine, Dr. Kevin Marzo. He's been a show. Uh, he's been on the show in the past. He is the chief cardiology here at NYU Langone Hospital on Long Island. He also runs the fellowship program uh, for cardiovascular here at NYU uh, Grossman School of Medicine and is also uh, intimately involved in the uh, cardiology system. He's the co-director of the courses for the medical students here at the Grossman uh, School of Medicine and also holds the title of professor in the Department of Urology. Now, he holds a lot of titles, but at the end of the day, Kevin is a down-to-earth, fantastic professional physician and uh, just a real a terrific guy and uh, has been uh, really a, a key component to the cardiology program here in building that program to what it is today. Thanks so much for joining us, Kevin. Really appreciate you taking the time out. Good morning, Aaron. Thank you for the invite. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, maybe you could just start telling the listeners uh, out there, um, what, what does it take today to, to be a cardiologist? If you you know to become a cardiologist, what, what do you need? What kind of background do you need? Right. So so all cardiologists are trained in internal medicine. We've completed residencies in uh, internal medicine, and then after that, completing a fellowship, which is an additional three years after you've completed general medical training, and then many of us become subspecialists. Uh, specialties of uh, interventional cardiology, which involves putting in stents, putting in valves. Some are specialists in the um, disorders of the electrical system of the heart. They're called electrophysiologists. And now, there, nowadays, there's an expanding role for imaging the heart, taking pictures of the heart, whether with sonograms or with CAT scans. So it's really has expanded tremendously over the past 20 years. Uh, and many of the cardiologists uh, are, are treating a, a wide spectrum of, of diseases. Uh, everything from diseases that they're uh, that they're born with, congenital, or diseases that they acquire with aging. So it's really an exciting field. It certainly is, and it's a lot. Sometimes it's confusing for patients because they say, "Well, cardiologist, cardiac surgery, isn't that the same thing?" It's it's really a completely different 
uh, approach to the heart, isn't it? And also a different type of training rather than going through general surgical training. You, you mentioned you went through internal medicine, which was a three years and then three years of cardiology and then additional. At the end of the day, it's probably the same amount of training as, as cardiac surgery, but it, it is a, a different approach, uh, correct? Yeah, yeah we, we, we work very closely with our colleagues and they're mm-hmm. cardiothoracic surgeons. They, they are trained in surgery. Uh, they have a very different skill set. Uh, but one of the things I think that we've learned is that we have to work together. And so it's, uh, it's not an adversarial type of relationship. We need heart surgeons because patients still need to have um, an operation. Uh, one of the most common operations to fix blocked arteries is called a bypass surgery. And despite all the technologies that we have in stents and medications, patients often do need these advanced procedures done by experienced people such as uh, our uh, surgeons. Yeah, you certainly have a great collaboration, and it always does take a team. And I know that you review uh, maybe not every case, but certainly certain cases where there's extensive amount of of blockage in the heart. Uh, and maybe we can also, uh, for the listeners, start out by when you say a, a, there's a blockage in the heart, what actually do, do you mean by that? Well, our arteries are um, on top of the heart, and they supply the heart blood. And when a artery becomes narrow, typically with plaque buildup made up of cholesterol and other material, it encroaches on the lumen of that artery and restricts the blood flow. Uh, if the blood flow becomes totally obstructive and there's no blood getting through, that can cause a heart attack. Um, if it causes it a gradual narrowing or progressive narrowing, patients often have the onset of symptoms that, uh, like a tightness or a pressure in the chest when they start to... Um, work out or do some exercise. Uh, so when I talk about a blockage, it's, uh, the, the old-fashioned term was hardening of the arteries. Um, and the, uh, the medical term that we use is atherosclerosis. Uh, all these are really for the same thing of, of where we develop a narrowing artery that could be uh, symptomatic and potentially even life-threatening, causing a heart attack. Yeah, now, you know, in our previous shows, we've, we've talked a lot about cholesterol and the different subcomponents of cholesterol, the HDL, the LDL, and um, certain other... Are there any new tests that people should get? Let, let's start out with, like, blood tests. So I, I often hear that there's some you know, apolipoprotein and things like that. Are there other markers of, of blockage that people should consider asking their their doctor when when they're getting a... Uh, you know, their six-month blood test or, or annual blood test? All right. That's an excellent question. So we still really rely heavily on the, the good old-fashioned total cholesterol and the components of the healthy, which is the HDL, and the, the lousy, the LDL. And so the LDL is still one of the most powerful tools to really you know, predict risk. Uh, the newer tools are blood tests called the LP little a, which is a form of cholesterol that is very uh, atherogenic, meaning it clogs arteries uh, much more than LDL. Um, And we're learning that this is really very closely tied to genetics, uh, and it helps also to predict risk uh, beyond the traditional blood work. So we we use that now when we're we're evaluating someone who has some genetic risk or really want to dive deeper into the genetic risk. Uh, there's also markers of inflammation, uh, which have been around for years, but we're getting to appreciate these markers of inflammation as being another player in the uh, man- uh, the manifestations of heart disease. Um, there's a thing called the, the CRP, C-reactive protein. 
and we often will use this as an additional tool to identify risks for future blockages. Hmm. Okay, and uh, beyond the, the, the blood testing, uh, maybe you can tell us about some other types of approaches in terms of diagnostic testing. I know that there's uh, lots of new tests. Uh, one of them that uh, one of our you know, uh, guests in the past had talked about a, a coronary calcium score. Is that, is that something that you think is, is beneficial and useful? It, it definitely does play a role in uh, patients, particularly patients who are, have no symptoms and they really want to identify risk. Using all the risk factors that we kind of ask patients, you know, do you smoke, do you have family history, uh, uh, do you have high blood pressure? Um, despite all that, we sometimes don't identify patients um, you know, that have plaque buildup. And a CAT scan of the heart uh, without using any dye is a very effective way to determine if someone has uh, plaque developing, and calcium uh, gets deposited in the areas where there's plaque buildup. So a, ca a calcium score could really modify someone's future risk because when you see calcium in the, in the, in the vessels of the heart, you know that there's definitely plaque there. They, they've gone beyond just having risk. They have, they have some plaque buildup, and um, aggressive strategies to reduce that risk uh, are employed in, in that subset of patients. So I would use that, and for someone who comes into my office who's asymptomatic, never had a heart attack, never had a blockage, and I'll say, let's let's look at your risk and mod maybe modify your risk from going maybe from low risk uh, on paper to maybe high to high risk. So uh, it is a very useful tool in select patients, but it does involve some X-ray. So I, again, you don't really want to apply X-rays you know, to the, the entire population. Um, using that in a very selective population where you think it's going to really change your management. You know, I often wonder about people, and I, I certainly see uh, lots of men in my practice that have been on statins for quite a long time. And, you know, they seem to be doing well. Their cholesterol is, is okay. But I wonder if someone like that, let's say you have no symptoms at all, uh, Kevin, and you've been on a statin for a while, would that... Uh, you know, and you say, well, I want to get another test, just make sure my heart's okay. Is that a reasonable test to do, that, that calcium score of the heart, or, or not? Well, so you're, you're actually talking about using calcium score to maybe reduce your risk and maybe come off cholesterol pills. So, um, again, I, I would not personally yeah. do that if someone is – if uh, and, and in yeah. fact, there's some data that suggests that, that statins, even though they're very effective in reducing risk and actually reducing plaque – they may not, they don't remove calcium from the vessels. And in fact, there may be a slight increase in calcification on long-term mm. statins. So um, so if someone is really uh, on a statin and, and has not having any side effects, uh, I think it's a good medication for the long run. Yeah, you don't want to stop the medication, right? Because I've also seen patients that stopped it, and then they, it seems to be like a, a almost like a rebound cholesterol. Like you can go even higher than what you what you had to begin with. So, and then you're, I, I don't know. That's my own anecdotal experience. I don't know if there's published yeah. literature on that or, or or not, but um, but certainly I I think that sometimes people when they have a change in lifestyle, let's say they've lost weight, uh, they get their blood pressure under control, and they say, you know what, I'm going to go off my blood pressure medication now, I'm going to go off my cholesterol medication, I'm feeling better, I don't need this anymore. Uh, what would you say to those people out there that are, that are thinking on, along those lines? Well, I mean, I, th I think if you're making lifestyle changes, you may need less of something. So people who lose weight mm -hmm. and uh, you modify the behavior, blood pressure is easy to control, and some people can come off uh, medications uh, you know, good monitoring. 
Um, in terms of the, uh, you know, getting cholesterol to a very low level, you're much more, uh, it's much more easy to accomplish if one has good behavior, good lifestyle, uh, good diet. Uh, again, will they come off it? Probably not. I think a, a, a low dose of a statin is probably beneficial for people that have some risk factors. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Great, great advice. Um, so let's talk about some other testing that, that people can um, uh, expect or maybe that they should be aware of uh, beyond just the calcium CAT scan. Uh, what other types of testings do you do for, you know, evaluating people that are having some, you know, some vague symptoms, let's say, or, or, or maybe not, maybe just a Maybe they just have a strong family history, or maybe they have high cholesterol, and they want to come to you for some testing. What what would you do there? Well, the uh, the traditional test is a stress test, and a stress test is a very good test, not a perfect test, but it does. Um, if someone has a good exercise capacity, could run uh, for minutes on the on the treadmill, having no EKG changes, they carry a very good prognosis. Um, do they have? Could they still have underlying mild plaque buildup? Absolutely. The, the test that um, is, is more commonly used, particularly for someone who may have some symptoms, uh, is, a carn- is a CAT scan using dye. A coronary calcium score is basically just an x-ray of the heart using a CAT scan, but there are no needles, no, no dye given. Um, a, a CAT scan with contrast or the dye could actually visualize the lumen and the plaque inside the artery and determine if they are narrowing. So uh, when someone has some some vague symptoms that are you know, relatively stable. Uh, the CAT scan can be very, uh, I mean, if, it, if it's normal, uh, you could say with high confidence that's not coming from a, a blockage. Um, hmm. Now, I, I would not necessarily say, like, you, you turn 50, I want to have a CAT scan with the dye just to make sure I don't have blockages because, again, there's, um, there's X-ray radiation with that, uh, probably, little, probably several fold higher than a, a calcium score. Uh, so again, I, I reserve this, the coronary, uh, the CAT scan with the dye for someone that may have a little more risk, more symptoms. And the most invasive test, which is, uh, involves putting a little catheter or tube uh, in an artery of the body through the, the wrist or the groin, is called a coronary angiogram or a catheterization. Uh, and that is probably the gold standard for determining if there are blockages. But again, it is more invasive. I mean, you're putting you know, tubes into the uh, body. Uh, but the advantage of that is that you could actually fix something there if you find something, uh, a blockage, and particularly if someone is having symptoms. Now, the, the CAT scan with the, with the dye, what, what is that called? Because that, I thought that's not an angiogram, obviously, but what is that called? It's a, CT, it's a CAT scan angiogram, so CTA. That CAT scan yeah. with the dye, that CT angiogram, be negative, be, be totally fine, and then you do an angiogram and you find out, wow, this guy's got serious blockage. I mean, how often does that happen? A negative test, a normal CT um, of the arteries of the heart uh, is very, yeah. very uh, powerful. It's, it, it's, it's unusual to really? go in then and then find a blockage. There are times that the CAT scans of the arteries of the heart can have limitations. If someone has lots of calcium deposits in their arteries, sometimes you just don't get a good picture on the CAT scan. It kind of acts like, like a shield. You can't see, see inside it. So... So I think having an abnormality on the CAT scan, and then when you do the invasive one through the leg or through the wrist, you sometimes don't see, um, you know, you don't see blockages that you thought were there on the, uh, on the quote, non-invasive, the, the one without putting the uh, tubes into the body. 
I see. But um, it, it's it's what you're saying. And I have I got to tell you, I've never really knew about this uh, CAT scan with the with the dye of the heart. I, I I knew about the the angiogram. I mean that requires a like a catheter. You're saying in the groin or in the artery in the arm, I guess. And but I did not know about the CAT scan of the uh, of the heart, which is in, I did not know about that. Is that something new? Or that's been around for a while. It, it, it's been around for years, but it, it's really uh, become see. more of a frontline uh, strategy hmm. for detecting blockages for people that are either having some symptoms or at, at, at moderate risk. So uh, it's really, I would say, in the past three to five years, it's much more commonly being performed. About five or ten years ago, it was not uh, always covered by insurance, and much and now it's really being looked at as perhaps maybe one of the frontline ways to evaluate for clogged arteries uh, in patients that have, you know, risk or, or symptoms. And I assume it Maybe takes a real uh, learned radiologist to uh, to read and interpret the, those that we have here at NYU. It's not just your standard radiologist that's looking at those types of, of scans, right? That seems like it'd be really specialized type of training for that. Correct. They're read by both radiologists who are specialized in cardiac imaging, and there's also cardiologists that have specialized in imaging. So it's, again, it's a collaborative uh, approach by both teams. Uh, I see. NYU, Mm -hmm. Long Island, we have several doctors who do this, uh, and we also work across the whole entire NYU Langone Health System collaborating on reading these CAT scans through the many different practices that we have affiliations with. If you're just waking up in the morning, we're, we're talking with Kevin Marzo, professor in the Department of Medicine at the NYU Grossman Long Island School of Medicine and the chief of cardiology here at NYU Langone Hospital on Long Island. Uh, clearly an expert and really some interesting new and novel testings that we have here at NYU for cardiac disease. Do you have any idea, uh, Kevin, how many how many of these scans do you think that we do, um, let, let's say, a, a day? I mean, are we are these uh, CAT scans or coronary calcium scores? Is it? Do you have any sense of, of what we're doing? Quite a, yeah, it's been a real growth in the past five years. I would say uh, has I mean, to be. Uh, it, in the in the <laughs> Mineola facility, we probably do between five to ten a day of the sure. uh, the CAT scan of the arteries and lots of calcium scores. So it's really a, a, a tremendously growing area of cardiac imaging. No doubt. Uh, so we've talked about uh, blood testing. The uh, You mentioned the stress test. You mentioned the CAT scan, the angiogram, the calcium score. That's certainly a lot. Are, are, are we missing anything? Did we leave anything out there in terms of testing, or is there uh, anything else you want to mention? Before all testing, I think really the most important thing is when someone is being evaluated for blockages, is, is a good history and physical. That's really sure. precedes Sure. Any test. Sure. You really don't want to put people through tests that it really don't warrant them. So, again, these are not, say, tests I would say every, you turn 50, you know, you need X, Y, or Z. I think it really has to be individualized by uh, the sure. patient in front of you. That's a great point. But certainly there could be people that are, you know, walking around that have no symptoms, that have certainly have high cholesterol or, as you mentioned, are smoking or overweight or have genetic predispositions that um, may need these tests and may, may be walking around and, and not realizing it. That's that's the scary part of it all, I think. You know, um, so certainly, as you mentioned, that is uh, absolutely necessary. Um, what about the old uh, theory or the old um, adage of taking an aspirin once a day? Is that still uh, in vogue or, or, or am I dating myself there? <laughs> you're, you're dating yourself a bit. I mean, it's, it's, aspirin's really under, <laughs> okay. under a, a, bit of a, a bit of a change. It's still a great medication yeah. for patients who've had a a stent, but we understand that um, 
that there are side effects from anything that we can give. So aspirin can promote uh, internal bleeding. So we really uh, it's, uh, have really stopped using the routine aspirin as it's a preventive measure. And like anything, it has to be really, you know, it has to be a discussion between a, and a patient and the physician. So the, pro, the, the strengths and weaknesses, the pros and cons. So if someone has been prescribed an aspirin by their doctor, I would not stop it. Uh, but I just wouldn't open up your account and say, you know, I, I don't feel right. I'm going to you know, start an aspirin and I'm not going to address it. But yeah. If you're having a heart attack, I mean, if someone's having a heart attack, the first thing to do is dial 911. If you think you're having a heart attack, don't write it out. I mean, dial 911, and then you can take your aspirin uh, and, and get evaluated immediately. Heavy dose? Like take four, four aspirin? Uh, <laughs> one full dose would be if it was emergent. Yeah. yeah. It works pretty quickly. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's for sure. And you know, I, I know that it's not really a, uh, in the traditional sense an anticoagulation, uh, but I, I tend to see so many men now uh, in the practice that are on different forms of anticoagulation, uh, Eliquis, the old days of Coumadin, uh, uh, and um, uh, many men uh, and many patients now are on stents or have had stents inserted into the heart. Uh, sometimes it's fascinating to me how many stents. I think I saw a patient uh, like two, three weeks ago that had like six stents. Is that is that possible? Absolutely. I mean, the, uh, there are three major arteries to the heart and multiple branches. So if someone has blockages in several arteries, that may uh, you could you could see a number of stents put in. Uh, not that I'm encouraging that, but I think it, it's on an individual basis, depending on the, the number of blockages, location, the length of them, uh, people could have uh, as more than a, more than uh, I see more than a dozen in some patients. Yeah, and and certainly stents have come a long way too. Uh, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about that. So some of the new, you know, innovations that have come about with cardiac stents. Yeah, so stents have been around since the, uh, I believe, in the mid '90s. They really changed the way we fix blockages. It used to be just the balloon angioplasty, but a stent is really an effective scaffold to keep that blockage that that's there. And then. The biggest change was to have a stent that has a medication on it that prevents it from scarring up. And so if a stent is put in, we have a, uh, a chance that that artery will stay open permanently almost 90% of the time, if not higher. And so it's, again, the, the technology, the, the, the stents have gotten smaller. They've gotten more, uh, they're, the, the materials have made it easier to sort of snake into the blockages. Uh, the understanding of the medications to use with them has gotten better. So it, it's really uh, revolutionized the way we unclog arteries uh, without surgery over the past 20 years. Yeah, it, cer it certainly has. And so if you have a stent placed at, or a number of stents, uh, you need to be on anticoagulation for, for how long a period of time? Is it is it forever? Uh, again, it's individualized. And so the, yeah. the medications that someone gets after a stent is always aspirin. Uh, and then a, uh, another pill that's another that's like a cousin of aspirin. They have names like uh, Berlinter and, and Prilant, and they they're very effective in preventing the stent from clotting up because it is a piece of metal. Uh, and then uh, and then if someone needs uh, an additional blood thinner, we often will then you know um, individualize how we're going to give these these blood thinners so that people are not given like too many. So uh, many times we'll we'll continue one uh, of these drugs like aspirin and and Valenta, and then if someone needs a drug like Eliquis for a different reason, uh, we often will have to, you know, reduce one so that people don't bleed. Uh, Eliquis is a very different drug. It's really more used for the uh, conditions such as atrial fibrillation, uh, which is an irregularity of the heartbeat. And we put the people on drugs like these stronger blood thinners 
to prevent stroke. But if you're on other drugs that are for the stent, you kind of have to individualize for the person uh, um, the right dosing and the right amount. You know, Kevin, I'm always interested as well in, in the integrative world of medicine. And, you know, of course, I know you, you've really talked at our men's seminars in the past about the role of, of diet and exercise. And uh, I'm just wondering, if is there anything new in that area in terms of dietary supplements? I know fish oils have been looked at in the past and, you know, things to lower cholesterol, maybe in the herbal world, anything new in the in the literature that any evidence-based medicine there that would help our listeners to see if they could take something on their own and to maybe prevent a future heart attack or a future event, or maybe if they're at increased risk of getting an event that they could take to reduce, uh, you know, future future events. Anything? Yeah, I, I think the short answer is there's, there's no magic supplement to mm. reduce it. I think the best mm. the best thing is is what goes into your mouth. I mean, eating a a a a, a healthy diet. Uh, one that's, mm-hmm. I think, more plant-based, uh, natural foods. Uh, and I think that's probably where the, the biggest medication is, is, is a healthy diet, whether it's like Mediterranean uh, type of diet, but really one that's, that, that reduces unhealthy fats and very little processed food. I mean, that's better than any supplement, in my opinion. Yeah, well, well said. And it's uh, it, it, sometimes it is easier for us to tell our patients that for them to make the commitment. But you do have to make a commitment in life if you want to uh, to make the change. But the change is certainly worth it because, as I'm sure you've seen, too many young people, both men and women, have uh, have had heart disease. It is still the number one killer in the United States beyond any cancer-related uh, deaths, as far as I could see in numbers. So um, I'm, I'm sure that you and your team are extraordinarily busy and, and doing these testings and evaluations. And as you mentioned, it does always go back to the physical and the history, and we don't always jump to testing. But if we need it, we certainly have it here at NYU, don't we? We certainly have the armamentarium and the uh, and, and, and the skills and the, and the faculty and the physicians, the providers, the PAs, MAs, nurses, the entire team, radiologists, cardiologists, cardiac surgeons here to take care of people. So uh, it's an extraordinary uh, team that uh, you've built, Kevin. Congratulations. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, uh, any final, uh, any final th- thoughts or comments before we end? Well, again, uh, I think we, we at NYU offer from prevention to prevent an event to you know, treating the, the, the ultimate complications of heart disease. So I think we're, we're, we have all the tools and all the weapons to beat this disease. So. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you very much, Kevin. That was Dr. Kevin Marzo, professor in the Department of Medicine at NYU Grossman Long Island School of Medicine. You can certainly check him out at the NYU Langone website. He also runs the fellowship uh, here uh, in in interventional cardiology at NYU Langone uh, on Long Island and the chief of cardiology. Thanks so much, Kevin. I really appreciate you coming on the show. It really uh, is terrific to having you again, and uh, we'll have you on real soon. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, everyone. Well, that's the end of the show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And tune in here at Katz's Corner every Sunday. And we'll be back next week with another great show. Tune in then and have a great day. This is Dr. Aaron Katz. You've been listening to Katz's Corner. Come back every week to hear more straight talk on a wide range of men's health topics and advice on how to live your healthiest life. The preceding was a paid podcast. iHeartRadio's hosting of this podcast constitutes neither an endorsement of the products offered or the ideas expressed.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.